Are you still there? I am back. Let me make sure. Oh, My great. internet is still What was the last thing you heard? Uh, the masculinity of Guy Fieri, the first time you said it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she was she reflects in her essay like Guy Fieri is so uh, obnoxiously masculine, but not in a threatening way. Mm-hmm. And and she was like she just reflects in this in this essay about how soothing that is like for her was for her at the time and still is like watching this uh, kind of obnoxious loud like he's loud but i'm never afraid when my husband got loud i was always afraid mm. but when guy fieri is loud i I'm, I'm not afraid i laugh and i feel good you know and and i and i love how he just thinks you know <laughs> and he, it's hard for me to describe it it was just really well done essay and ever since i read that essay i just like obsessively follow her and i listen to her on podcasts and and like and all this stuff and so it, it's been it's been really cool okay. it's been really cool I like that a lot um, because I find a lot of like big obnoxious masculinity threatening. Like there is nothing more scary to me than a big, tall, loud white man. Right. After reading the essay, I kind of just tweeted at her. I was like, hey, you know, or tweeted in general. And, and I guess I don't know the, the slang and put her in my tweet. Uh, I don't know. I added. Her. I don't know what I said. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, I said it and I was just like, hey, everybody should read Rax King. This was what a really great essay. Like, uh, oh, that was the other thing she talked about with Guy Fieri. Like, one of the things she said, because it was all so, like, oh, I'll send you the essay. It's also perfect because she reflects on, like, cooking for her ex-husband and how it was never good enough. Mm-hmm. At, but, but you know, diners, drive-ins, and dives is, you know, teaches her that, that food can look ugly and still be really, really great and, and – Guy Fieri is throughout Diner Drive-Ins and Dives is is so uh, you know positive about ugly food like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and 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 he's just like that's banging like he quote she quotes her quotes her at one point you know he yells gleefully that's banging and and uh, she, he's like she's like yes guy yes it is banging you know like like just <laughs> silly stuff and uh, but but he. She she kind of reflects and she's like, well, the reason why Guy Fieri doesn't scare me is because of his emotional generosity. Mm. That's how she words it. You know, that that the loudness and the masculinity is all couched in this emotional generosity where where he's he's so positive and so thrilled and so happy and 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 is just is just always doing and, you know, doing that for restaurants and for owners and for the people who are eating in those places and and it was just such a great it was such a cool thing it was such a cool essay but yeah i'll send that to you to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each week, we sit down to talk about our experiences and challenges as pastors doing small-town ministry during uncertain times. Join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. 
Yeah, so my week this week was I did a couple, I did a lot of really typical pastor things. We're going to talk about a very non-typical thing for our topic this week, listeners. So we're just doing kind of the the normal stuff for our quick check-in at the beginning. Um, I got... I got all of worship ready. I was filming this worship for um, for my paperwork. The filming it, I saw in my paperwork needs it to be landscape, landscape instead of anything else, and it wasn't. So I have to film again this week. Um, but I did a lot of work getting worship ready by like Tuesday afternoon. I'm getting a lot of paperwork and stuff done early in the week because the rest of the week was taken up with wedding stuff because I was the maid of honor in a wedding and I was the officiant and um, it was the first wedding that officiated by myself and it was great and everybody loved it um, and like the whole it, there was a lot of stress ahead of time but the whole thing went really well and everything was fantastic until I was leaving and the wedding planner was like you got the witnesses to sign the um the certificate right and I was like ha the marriage license and so right. I go to get it I go to go find the witnesses one of them has left already um one of them was like a game time decision because they were trying to decide like who was going to sign in who wasn't all this kind of stuff and so I like my I had two jobs as an officiant I had to perform the ceremony and I had to get the marriage license signed and I did one and a half of them <laughs> So awesome. the marriage license is signed now. It is mailed in. We are good to go. But it was that the night of was just a, a, a large amount of panic. So <laughs> for a brief amount of time. Um, so my partner was there, too. And I had never been to a wedding with a partner and or just anybody. And it just makes the experience so very different. And I've seen some of the photos and there's a photo of him dipping me and I had never been dipped before. And so like he looks just charming in it. And I look like maybe this is how I die. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> it's a delightful picture. <laughs> so yeah. that was my week. <laughs> That's cool. That's great, though. I, I think that I think weddings are some of the most boring, awful things on the planet. Um, personally. <laughs> Uh, part of it is it's now my job to do them, and so as we know, you know, but uh, but it's always really it, it's a little better when you're there with a partner, I think, and and it's yeah. especially for you know there's an even different dynamic when you're you're married to your partner, and then like mm. you you sit there and you're like, wow, you remember ours? Yeah, that was great. Uh, <laughs> like, like no. It was, <laughs> And and it's you know it's it's a different it's a different kind of a thing. I once saw a meme. Uh, quick quick aside, and then I'd like you to continue. I once saw a meme where um, a uh, married couples uh, get married so that they can have cake, and <laughs> then and then they go to to weddings together only so that they can have cake. Like and and so uh, there's this in the meme. There's you know. The married couple goes to the reception, and and the the one partner is like, oh, this is such a great ceremony. Thanks for inviting us. And then the other couple, the other partner was like, uh, where's the cake? <laughs> and it's just it's kind of right. Like I, when I think about weddings, I I that I'm invited to, I'm like, oh good, do they have an open bar? <laughs> you know, perfect. Same. Perfect. <laughs> Sounds great. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I've been to more than 30 weddings since college, so I have I have my preferences for what happens in the ceremony and what happens at the reception, because I've seen it all. Yep. Um, 
But that was that was the end of my week. How was your week? My week was uh, okay. I had um, the the most the most typical bastard thing I had kind of throughout uh, the these the week was uh, I had some fun uh, um, like churchy uh, uh, like garage sale type deals like holiday hmm. bazaars and stuff uh, where we. Uh, some of the knitting groups of our church and our community sold different trinkets and different stuff. And we had like a luncheon that I made food for. And the old, the, the older ladies always love it when I make food because, because that's so, you know, kind of funny. Like, oh, the pastor made food for the luncheon. I was like, yes, yes, I know how to do that. Uh, somebody has to. My, you know, Beth, my partner rarely wants to make any food. And so otherwise we'd starve. And so <laughs> I, I have to I have to make food, but it's but it's been good. So that was a fun thing we did. And then unfortunately, I had a funeral uh, yesterday, and it was kind of a strange one because the the uh, the Ethel who passed away uh, uh, was uh, her name. Of course, is not Ethel. Ethel is just a universal term that we use here on the podcast <laughs> to, to, to determine a, a an old church lady. Um, the Ethel who passed away did not like me at all oh. and made it very clear. Oh. And uh, th- this is an interesting – one day when we talk about um, things like uh, uh, predecessor pastors and, and, and how uh, – uh, a pastor can really, really screw up the dynamic of a church when they do really mm. terrible things, stuff like that. We will one day will when we talk about that. I will talk about uh, this person again because she was married to a former pastor at this church. What? Yeah, okay, big so no, no. We talk about that next week because I want to hear the story. It's a good story, but it's a, but it's a big no, no. Um, but anyway. She uh, does not like me. And the quick and dirty version of why she does not like me is she uh, has been a part of this church for a long time. And she, as I said, is a former former pastor's wife or pastor. Yeah, pastor's wife of of this church. Uh, So she's a former first lady. That's what I was saying. Was did she take on the first lady role? Uh, uh yeah. Uh, uh, in in certain ways, this was in the eighties when when her husband was a pastor here, but she was a member of the church before her husband showed up. Okay. So it's even it's oh, even okay. more it's even more of a no no. Uh, uh, we we are we are highly encouraged, folks, not to have uh, um, uh, uh, relationships with members of the church regardless if we are single <laughs> uh but you know so it, it happens and 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 it can happen fine like it can happen in a really you know in a more appropriate way than 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 others but whatever anyway that's for next week but uh when i showed up um she lives about she's homebound and she lives because she's was quite old and she lives uh, about 30 minutes away from from the church and so she can't really get to church anymore and and it, it just it's just not a great setup and so when i showed up i was kind of alerted to her like folks clue, you know clued me in on on her and her situation and i visited her my first year 
And it was not a great visit um, because she wasn't happy to see me. Uh, <laughs> even She was happy mm-hmm. I visited, but she wasn't happy that I was me. And, uh, and, and that was that. And then she got mad because I didn't visit her once a week. If you had to visit the same person once a week and that involved driving 30 minutes away for, for a 90 minute visit, you, you know, Joe, you would not do that. You have other, you not. have other things to do. We have other things to do. I would send other members of the congregation because, you know, visitation ministry is not limited to the pastor. Absolutely. And we do that. You know, she was on the list for like home communion and, and so once a month there was always somebody that would go and see her. But I had a conversation with her, uh, after a year of, of not seeing her every week where she called me and complained. And I, I had, I, by the way, I had visited her when she was in the hospital. Like, like it wasn't, I had seen her other times and, and I told her, I was like, Ethel, um, I am not. I don't visit the same person once a week. I don't do that for anybody. You know, uh, and so I'm not sing- sing- singling you out. You know, this doesn't really have a whole lot to do with who you are or where you live. I wouldn't do that for somebody who lives across the street. I have things to do. I, I can't visit the same person once a week just because. If there are extenuating circumstances, that's different. You know, I. I Folks in the hospital, I might make visits uh, once or twice a week. You know, I might do a, a lot of things, but just to say hi, I, I can't. I can't do that. I don't have time. I might be able to see you once every month, or maybe once every two months. I might be able to call you more often. I might be able to do a lot of things, but but I I I'm doing my best to make sure that folks from this church are connected with you, and it can't always be me. And so she sent me a formal letter uh, telling me that I was no longer her pastor and uh, and that she wanted my predecessor to be her pastor again. And so and so I looked at this letter and uh, somebody from the church who will remain nameless, who does not like me as well, uh, looked at this letter and, and she she was like, should I get should I get her on the phone? So that you can talk to her. And I looked at her and I looked at this person and I said, why? I'm not her pastor anymore. <laughs> uh, did she change her membership? No, she's still a member of the church. It doesn't work. I mean, folks, it doesn't work this way. Like, like I'm the pastor right. of the church that she's a member at. Therefore, I am her pastor. Like, like that's how that works. Um, but she died and her will said that, uh, uh, my predecessor was going to do her funeral and she also wanted a funeral dinner to be at this church and so uh, her family came to see me and said uh, you know so and so is going to do the funeral the guy who was here before me Uh, Ethel wanted a funeral dinner here at the church and so we really want that to happen and uh, um Maybe it'll be good if you assisted the funeral. And I was like, sure, whatever. And so I assisted the, for the funeral. I didn't plan anything, mm-hmm. didn't, uh, but I read some scripture. And then I sat for an hour and listened to my predecessor, uh, babble incoherently. 
and recite poetry and all around do a thing that I wouldn't have done for the funeral, but that's fine. Was the gospel preached at least? Well, I mean, a version of it. Okay, cool. A version of it, a version of it, a version of it. So that's okay. But that was that was my pastor thing. And it, it was it was a an hour and fifteen minute funeral, which is which is absurd. It's absurd. Mm. An hour, uh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, the funeral I presided over earlier may have been that, but the whole community turned out. I mean, we were packed to the gills, and everybody had a story for the person who had passed. Right, that's different. So. That's different. This was a thirty-person right. funeral. Oh, and so. I apologize to her. So she it was an open casket, and as we were gathering for everything, I peeked my head in, and I was like, Ethel, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that all of this is happening this way, but uh, we'll get through it. <laughs> you know, like you talk, we'll you know, like you talk to the dead. And uh, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. That, was my, that was my fun time. That was the most typical pastor thing I did. Yeah, there's a lot of typical pastor in there, which I think – I think the more naive among us, among the world, might think that pastors don't have to deal with that kind of internal church politics and and ungenerous feelings and all that kind of stuff. Um, But then those of us who are pastors know know that that is exactly what we do and a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, people who aren't church people don't understand how much church people can be petty. Oh sure, and I'm petty. I'm the pettiest person I've ever met. Like I'll I'll do whatever. <laughs> but well, speaking of petty, yes. let's talk about Twitter. Twitter. What about Twitter? So I my because we we talked about this as being our topic for today, um, and my reaction to it is that like Twitter is one of the places over the past few years of my life where my faith has actually grown, where I have made good and honest and genuine connections, where I do my very best not to be petty and not to participate in the toxicity of Twitter. Like if I see that something has turned into something that is really toxic, I just scoot on back out of that conversation. I don't read really long into the replies for a lot of things. Um, so I have found Twitter to be this really life-giving place where I can get different perspectives, where I can um, where I can learn how to be a better ally to people of color and LGBTQ people who are not like me just by listening to what they say and by paying attention to them. Like, I have genuinely grown as a person because of Twitter, and I don't think that that is, one, anybody's typical Twitter experience, and two, that anybody would think that a pastor should be on Twitter. Like, I think that there's probably a lot of people out there who think that Twitter is from Satan and that we are... um, that we are uh, damaging our souls by being involved in Twitter. So, but I've been a member of Twitter since 2009, we found out today as I look back. So I've had a full decade of Twitter from the like, let's just see how many puns we can share with each other to the, okay, this is how we're going to organize against the oppressive regime we're all dealing with to the, um, kind of existential dread searching for hope Twitter that I'm a part of right now. Right. <laughs> so I've had a I've had a journey. Uh, Ethan, what's your experience with Twitter? So I uh, have been on Twitter in certain capacities over maybe six or seven years, maybe. 
but uh, but I've just recently started to really take it seriously. The most I ever used Twitter in the past was I used to live tweet my uh, time at waiting to see my doctor in Washington D.C. And so I'd I'd sit. This is this is a true story. So I'd sit in the in the uh, like waiting room or the lobby or the whatever, and and I'd watch the daytime television TV. You know, like like the 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 different like like um, Maury's or the you know the talk shows or the or like the daytime news shows, you know, and stuff. You know, the like the bottom of the barrel stuff, and and I'd watch it and I'd live tweet it, you know, and 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 talk about despair and and I'm like watching this. Uh, I tell you, uh, uh, Julie on the the Today Show. She's about to she's about to hang herself. She is done. <laughs> like like this stuff like that. But anyway, I uh recently so when I became a pastor, I I actually deleted my old Twitter account and I made a new Twitter account. Um uh with the kind of idea that maybe I'll I would do stuff with it as as a pastor and and mm-hmm. in a different way. And I've only over the past year like have kind of started to do more. And to kind of explore the different things that are out there, I um, quite like it. And so, what I use Twitter for is is mostly to uh, read content, you know, and 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 to mm-hmm. read about um, the different perspectives of you know different Christian and theological perspectives, or uh, just what people are doing. So, I, I follow a lot of comedy folks and writers and and. Uh, I'm, I'm also, uh, I also follow a lot of academic folks. There's this really, uh, academic Twitter is fascinating because it's just a lot of, uh, PH, PhD candidates and, 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 um, anonymous, uh, folks in academia that just talk about all of the kind of difficult and sometimes terrible stuff that happens in universities. And so it's a lot of fun. That's what I use it for. Yeah. And I, um, I think that it's probably fair for us to like name drop a couple of people that we follow on Twitter that have made a difference for us. Yes. Uh, um, but before I do that, academic Twitter, like it, because it is, it's really PhD candidates. It's a couple of like young faculty members scattered here and there. Um, and then there's this big gap. And then there are people who used to be academic y, but are now more public figures. And they try to tweet things that are like really like thought provoking or whatever, but just end up sounding really dated because they are not the people that Twitter was meant for. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> oh man, academic Twitter. There's one that I follow. That is, um, it's an automatically generated one, and it's Harry Potter and the, and then it's names of different papers. So I think one of the first ones that I retweeted was like Harry Potter and the hydrogen alpha alpha spectra of distant galaxies or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's a delight. Like they're not all winners, but some of them are really fantastic winners. Um, and I, I mean, I follow a lot of the. I follow things that give me joy in life. Um, so I follow like We Rate Dogs, where I got to see, did you see Narwhal, the little dog with the tail growing out of his head? No, because uh, I'm not an animal person. The little puppy. Okay, well, I'm not an animal person. That sounds aggressive. I'm, a, I'm, a <laughs> I'm not an animal person. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he's an animal person. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, 
I follow one called Whale Fact. Okay. And it's just, it's not actually facts about whales. It is, like, the, the most recent one that I retweeted was, a whale would never eat all of your frosted flakes and then put the empty box back in the pantry. And I was like, no, a whale wouldn't do that. Way to go, whales. Sure. Um, so I follow things like that that make me happy. Um, but I think that recently some of the um, the best follows that I've made have been – um, it's Rabbi Dana Rutenberg. Yes. I think this is the problem with Twitter is that I see their names. I don't pronounce their names. Right. So I deeply apologize, but she is my Twitter rabbi and I love it. Like she's thoughtful. I've learned so much about Judaism and so much. Really, I've learned a whole lot about Jesus as a Jewish person from her, um, she has this great thread on why Jesus was a Pharisee mm -hmm. and that just revolutionized how I read everything in the new Testament because that anti-Pharisee bias just leads to anti-Semitism, and we need to be as active about combating that now. I mean, we should have been more active before. Um, right. But right. No, I, yes, Dana, yes. She's good. I follow, do you follow on virtuous Abby? No, I just see a lot of your retweets. And so, <laughs> yeah, they're fun. It's run by um, uh, like a boomer Episcopalian priest, but this dude knocks it out of the park a whole lot of the time. Um, I used to follow uh, the Babylon Bee. Do you remember the Babylon Bee? I mean, it still exists. That trash, that that gutter yeah. trash. That <laughs> it's like for those who for those who aren't on Christian Twitter, um, I got yelled at by my partner because I called Rabbi. Dana Rutenberg a part of Christian Twitter and I was like no like she participates in like progressive religious Twitter but even then she is from a conservative Jewish background and so like it's anyway I don't know how to place her but she participates in all of the ish that all of us Christians participate in so she's a part of she's part of the club anyway um the Babylon Bee is like the onion but for church people um and it had some really funny stuff that was really on point me and my friend had a version of this we called it the wafer we did it when I was in Scotland um and it was just it was basically Babylon Bee stuff they just have better um people who can do better press I guess right um but the Babylon Bee is, is transphobic and other types of phobic that aren't helpful, but sometimes they're really funny. Um, but so Unvirtuous Abbey is like a wholesome good version of the Babylon Bee, except without the articles. Right. I, uh, I remember and, there was one Babylon Bee article when I was in seminary that uh, um, made me laugh so hard that it hurt. And that was uh, a, a, uh, a fake uh, think piece on – the first season of Stranger Things, and and they, they published this thing where they were like, let's break down Stranger Things and talk about all of the theological allegorical meanings of of, of Stranger <laughs> Things, and and one of them was like the four uh, the four friends is obviously a symbol for the Trinity, <laughs> which which is funny on which is funny on a trillion levels. Like for if you're a theology nerd, the, and they're like the four friends are engaged in a in a perichoritic dance, you know, around the, you know, and and I'm and I'm losing it. But but my favorite thing they posted in that piece was the upside down is obviously a symbol for the United Methodist Church. 
and I and I yeah. and I almost threw up. Like I almost I because <laughs> I was like, oh, that hurts so bad, you know, <laughs> because they're Presbyterian, like like they're they're a Calvinist right. Calvinistic kind of a thing. But the upside down is clearly a, a symbol for the United Methodist Church. Really, like, man, that hurt. Like that hurt me. And but but at the time, I was like, they might be right. <laughs> But, they might be. but after that, it's just all been gutter trash. Because you're right, it's it's yeah. so transphobic and 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 so right wing that it's stupid. Like like just absolutely silly right wing talking points a lot of the time now, and it's it's just not great. But yeah, um, my so what I have found about Twitter is that it is. Um, I am more openly progressive on Twitter than I am literally anywhere else on the internet. Um, because I, I follow people on Twitter who, um, spend time like advocating for why polyamory is biblical and a part of God's plan for our, our sexuality and our expressions of marriage. And, I have not done enough study into polyamory, um, but like my general opinion is you have to work really hard at it for it to be just. And I'm really about justice in relationships. Mm -hmm. And and so I like I follow these things to kind of get the perspective that I know is left of where I am. Sure. Um, yeah. So my my. My Twitter is a lot of people who like push me to understand things better. And then like people from different, different academic places that I've been at. Um, cause some of them tweet real smart things and I'm proud that they were my classmates. Um, and then I have this big whole bunch of like science Twitter things cause I joined Twitter when I was a physics major in undergrad. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of random physics stuff and Carolina basketball stuff. Um, <laughs> Yeah, oh, I'm going through my because I want to find one person that I really want to give a big shout out to, but she I must have followed her a long time ago. Do you follow um, Bridget Eileen, the traveling nun? Yes, I do actually. Yes, I. So that actually say what you're gonna say because that's one of there's something about her that I I want to talk about as well. I was gonna say that. Um, she is one that I don't really know what to do. I agree with her so many times. So many things she tweets are great. But for those who don't follow her, she is somebody who is LGBTQ mm -hmm. and multiracial, according to her bio. But she has intentionally chosen celibacy. Right. But she's very pro-LGBTQ. And and. And we'll be like, you know, celibacy is a real choice. And I'm like, yes, celibacy is a real choice. Why do I feel weird about this? So I, I follow her because she's one that pushes me just kind of by existing in this space and like boldly existing in the space. Yes. What were you going to say? So very similar things. One of the things that through folks like her and, and a few others I follow, um, let me bring that up and, and look for a name uh, or two so that I can, I can be a little more concrete. Um, one of the things about her in particular and others that I like um, that I find so interesting is sometimes you hear that Twitter uh, – there's no space for Twitter in on uh, – to have like kind of substantive complex dialogue. 
And I, I only think that's partially true because there are people on Twitter. Anthony Peter is another one that I follow that's similar to this. Mm. Um, there are so many people that I follow on Twitter who are so complex, you know, who, who are, who, what I mean by that is, is that their perspective are, are, there's so multiple layers to their perspective. That, that I really appreciate. At Wesley, I, I had, there was a tendency at Wesley, uh, the seminary that Joe and I went to, um, to, uh, be encouraged sometimes to sort of fit into kind of groupings of talking points and ideas. And so, at least that was a sense I got. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, uh, I encountered was, um, oh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're into liberation. Well, if you're into liberation theology, then you better be prepared to uh, also be into, you know, uh, uh, speak process like theology process usually. theology or, or or all of these kinds of things. And 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 there there I encounter different folks who the first time they begin to encounter this stuff, kind of adopt it wholesale and then slowly yeah. piece out, the, you know, you know, phase certain elements out as they as they um, examined it what I find so interesting is on Twitter and some of these folks is to see how you know oh particularly amongst queer folks on Twitter who, who are also you know a part of religious Twitter and stuff like that uh, to see how they you know understand uh, theology and how some of them have uh, more conservative theological ideas than other LGBTQ folks I've encountered, and some mm-hmm. of them have maybe more, even more conservative political opinions than than other LGBTQ folks I've encountered. And just to kind of like watch it unfold uh, has been really challenging in a good way. Um, yeah, because I I think you're right about the um there's this idea that that Twitter's just for hot takes and quick reactions and and not thought out things but like I've learned more from Twitter threads than I have from theological books in the past year and from like watching people talk back and forth like if you get into a Twitter space that is where people are doing their best to be generous and to be thoughtful but also to be challenging and and also to share you can end up in a really good um Sorry, you can end up in a really good place. I also found that um, around the time the whole Comey thing was happening, you know, way back at the beginning of the Trump presidency 10,000 years ago, yep. um, I followed something called um, Your Pal James, and it's it's just Comey, like, trying to hide in the background of the curtain. Oh, wow. <laughs> in, the, in the Oval Office, because he's so giant. Right. Oh, I'm going to unfollow that. That's no longer timely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the reason I was on the people that I follow is I followed um, Rob Lee, uh, what's his, Robert E. Lee's, like, great-great-grandson. Yes, yes. Yeah, he is really, so one, he is a professor over at App, which is down the road from me, Appalachian State. Um, but he um, he does a lot of good work, of like Rachel Held Evans did, rest in peace, but he does a good work of, of raising up voices that are different from his so a person that i found because he retweeted her is caitlin curtis curtis um and she is a citizen of potawatomi nation Mm -hmm. and she does a lot 
she and she's a white passing native person so she talks a lot about kind of colorism and privilege too but she does a fantastic job of raising up different indigenous issues and i've learned so much from her but she also writes for i think sojourners on occasion because she's a Christian, but she's also one of those former evangelical reconstructing Christians. And part of her reconstruction has been, how do I, how do I deal with the, the native part of me, the Potawatomi part of me, while I also have this Christianity too? Because anybody who's thought for 10 seconds about the relationship between indigenous Americans and Christianity knows that it's just fraught from beginning to end. Um, so she's a really good one. I I have found that I have learned a whole lot about contemporary indigenous issues from Twitter, and it has been really really great because not a lot of people um it just doesn't get as much news coverage and so i will i end up reading a lot of articles from like local tribal journals and things like that that i otherwise would not have known of so like earlier this week when npr came out with that piece that said that um native americans are more likely to experience um, an inability to get clean water than anybody else in the United States. I was like, yes, I've known about this. I've been hearing about this for years, but it, it seemed kind of like a bombshell at the time for a lot of other people. Another good native person to follow if you're looking for native people is Rebecca Nagel. She's Cherokee mm -hmm. Nation and she does the This Land podcast, which talks about the Supreme Court case that could turn like half of Oklahoma back into being Indian territory. Wow. And it's, yeah, yeah, it is. Fa it's fascinating. And she's always kind of on top of things. Um, yeah, she's good. Huh. Um, another person. So you think about Twitter is not you think about Twitter is, again, being like Satan's playground. But uh, Reverend Daniel is an Anglican priest and he's gay and married and he's Canadian. Um, <laughs> and his his bio is Jesus, justice and a size side of jazz hand. Ooh. Um, he's, and he's so fun. Um, he, uh, I, I takes more selfies for my preference, but I also know that that is a facet of the gay community and I appreciate him for celebrating himself. Um, but he, he, at one point in time had this big long thread of like why he devotes time to Twitter and how he actually like ministers to people on Twitter. And I know that like, I've done the same, like I have, I have tweeted out something that's just very comfortably in my wheelhouse theologically, but something that I feel needs to be said and in the comments or then like off Twitter, I've had friends and people who don't, I'm not in really close touch with, but, um, but who I know and who I like reach out to me and like, tell me part of their stories and kind of get to have that moment of connecting to somebody in this like spiritual and religious way. And that all comes out of Twitter. <laughs> like it's astounding. Um, goodness. I follow a lot of Methodist things on Twitter. I I'm seeing that I followed all these around general conference. <laughs> that is what happened. Right. Right. <laughs> That's how that happened. Um, yeah. Oh man. It it's really an interesting platform, I think, because um, I have also noticed that I am – I don't do a lot of original stuff on Twitter. Sometimes I'll, like, put a tweet together, but I, I tend to use it to read and learn and, and, and mm -hmm. retweet. Uh, but, like, I've also noticed that I'm more openly progressive on Twitter and 
more um it's a platform where I feel like I can sort of more be who I am and and mm-hmm. not have to worry as much about things. I'm more I'm more comfortable sharing this podcast on Twitter, which I need to do more and and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I do. I I'm surprised by it. I do think it's interesting to and have also encountered um, pastors. I follow a pastor. Oh, I just thought of her. I want to try to bring her up. But I follow different folks who who are pastors on Twitter who who really produce a ton of great content, you know yeah. that that's that's deeply theological and spiritual and and good content. Um, and so for me, I, I definitely see it as wow, yes, this is a, a form of ministry um, that that we should I think be tapping into a lot more. I think it's mm. good. Let me let me give you two more people to like if you don't have them in your Twitter network they're good. Jack Jenkins, his handle is Jack M Jenkins. He's um a reporter for the Religious News Service and he is always on top of usually a lot of like religion and politics things, but he's on top of like big developments that happen and always has a really thoughtful take about them. So if you want to and he'll he'll bring in stuff from a lot of just like any religion, but primarily Christianity. I think he's on the Christianity desk um, and associated with the Catholicism desk. And so I get to hear a lot of developments in the Catholic world that is are helpful for me to to know. Do you follow Diana Butler Bass on Twitter? I do. I, I noticed that she had a post recently that has been making its way around. Um, and and there's been a a decent amount of pushback against it, which has been interesting, but like, not from like super conservative folks, but like from, from different folks that I've mentioned, it's been interesting. Yeah. So, well, she had one from, she had one that she got pushed back from conservative folks. So, you know, you're doing it right when everybody gets angry at you from time to time. Right, right. Um, which is maybe not true, but that I sometimes feel is true. She's really good because she will tweet kind of like soothing soul feeling things a lot. Mm. But she, so the one that I'm thinking of recently is she talked about how uh, something that kind of challenged her faith was learning about the political circumstance around the, the first church council. Yes. Yes. That's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the, the more liberal people will get grouchy at that because like that shouldn't shake your faith. The church has always been political. Um, And then the conservative people are like, these things weren't political. It was a solidifying of the gospel. Um, And one of my former seminary professors totally subtweeted her about it and talked about like the importance of the apostles and and how the political situation was not important at all, which I just found deeply reductionistic and not at all really what he taught in class. So I think he was just having a rough day. Was this, uh, Um, was this, uh, we can call it. I was going to say, I was, I was going to ask if it was Danker. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, Denker spent a lot of time in class talking about how Christianity interacted with empire and how, like, over the the history of the church, the church starts getting tons of land, and that's where you get the church really involved in the feudal system in, like, medieval Europe. Like, I mean, we it's unavoidable to talk about how politics is influencing the church. Um, and, and I, so... 
confession time. I have not read her original tweet. I made my partner explain it to me because this is this seemed like a toxic situation that I wasn't going to get myself involved in. Um, and, and so I think that it was people taking her something that she was saying was very personal to her and how it kind of changed who she was and then extrapolating that into being a kind of universal thing which is not how she meant it sure and i think that's like one of the rules of twitter is that when somebody says something on twitter you have the choice of saying this is something that seems to be true for that person i'm gonna let it lie or this person is making a claim that I think is completely fallacious. I'm going to yell about it. And I think that Twitter is best imbibed if you do the first instead yes. of the second. Yes, yes. No, I agree. I follow. There's another person I follow, Reverend Jess Cast. Have we talked about her? Yeah, we haven't talked about her, but I follow her. Yeah, I think – I, I was just going to say I think she's really great. I think that she's one who, who – who, is is a pastor on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like thinks yes. thinks yeah. of Twitter as an extension of her ministry as a pastor and and I've I've always been very um uh uh uplifted by her by her the stuff that she posts. I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I um, it's interesting to me that Twitter has sort of um for both of us uh been a really kind of a good and positive thing and it's also really interesting that that this is a, a form of social media that my experience with it so far has been uh that it has some potential to um engage with ideas in a different way rather rather than although this mm. does happen i'm sure rather than just images and so like for yeah. me facebook um my experience with facebook is one where where it, it's 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 the sharing of um it's actually kind of become sort of just the sharing of prepackaged hot takes right like like yeah. facebook has certainly has potential for long sustained conversation but usually those conversations are things like arguments yes uh and and so facebook has or like become congratulations this kind of, on your wedding things right right uh, but I, I see, um, I mean, think about what, what some of these concerns are, right? Like the way Facebook is able to share misleading propaganda in a, in a very different right. kind of a way than, than other, other spaces. Um, and so it's really great to see, uh, to, to encounter Twitter in a different way where, where I can see it quite a lot more clearly as a, um, as a platform for ministry and a platform for kind of getting out ideas and and even engaging in a different way with those ideas. It used to be that Facebook was sort of excused for that reason. So like I remember sitting in in um you know pastoral ministry classes or pardon me or or whatever and and us kind of being honest for a moment like yeah Facebook really seems to to be pretty toxic and it really seems to be um to and, and at the beginning of different Trump stuff, you know, it really seems to be disseminating some pretty false information. But, you know, we're able to keep in touch with people, we're able to communicate with people and, and that's those are real positives for ministry and for life. And nowadays I, I think that those are kind of weak arguments. Like like I think those are kind of weak excuses that we sort of throw out. Because the follow up question is Fine, but how much of that are we doing? You right. know, yeah. Or what? Do, or if we really just mean Facebook Messenger, 
you know. Right, yeah. Which is very different. Yeah. And let's just all, like, switch over to WhatsApp or Signal, because, like, there's no... There's no reason to stay on Facebook when we know that Facebook's just mining our data and doing evil things with it. So my ex worked in uh, technology security, works in um, technology security advocacy, and has deleted his Facebook twice. I think it's I think it's going to stick this time. Uh, but it's just that Facebook does not do good like the the company of Facebook does not do good and is not careful with their data and will not commit to fighting the the same outside influencers that influenced the 2016 election for the next election and like at least Twitter said that they were going to ban political ads though I don't know that that's actually happened um yeah, and like you can't, you also can't like give Twitter a complete and total pass because after the 2016 election, when they went and cleared out all of the fake accounts and the spam accounts, my followers rent from like 1,200 to 400. And I'm nobody, right? Like I had that many spam bots that they had to clean out of my followers. Right. Because I tweeted something that got retweeted by the official Star Wars account okay. one time in like 2012. <laughs> and Ooh. so I just got to a ton of followers then it was I think it was something like all I ever needed to learn in life I learned from Yoda or something like that I was rewatching the Empire Strikes Back um which the, and that movie's so good that I'd marry it <laughs> right so just thought I'd throw that um, out there just to <laughs> keep no, going <laughs> I think that's that was like the other week when there was like ranking your your favorites or the best Star Wars movies or whatever was going around and I just watched it and if anybody didn't say Empire Strikes Back was the best I was like I think about you differently now yeah, like, is your brain okay? <laughs> right. That's a little bit of the patty coming out. Um, yeah, so, like, Twitter isn't the best, but Facebook is also actively not the best either. Um, right. And I, I, full disclosure, I follow my ex on Twitter, and so I get to keep up with a lot of the kind of – because he uses it professionally. So I get to keep up with, like, different security things that are happening. And, like, this is why I leave my location services turned off, and I really think that everybody should be no longer using regular message systems but should download Signal. It's free. It's like putting an envelope around your mail instead of sending postcards, which is what all of your messages are. This has been a PSA for your Internet security today. So – that's one of like, and I I don't just follow religious people on Twitter. I don't just follow um, like progressive Christian Twitter. I have a whole bevy of people, so I get a lot of different information in. And I used to say that I get my news from Twitter, and my dad actively laughed at that. What I mean is, I follow AP News on Twitter, right? Like I follow all of the big news outlets, and so I get to see them tweet out the headlines with a link to the articles, and then I just know. Now I have the news apps, and it's easier, and I don't have to do that. But like for a long time there I didn't like I wasn't gonna watch the news I got my news from Twitter and that was actually legitimate and I was better informed than my parents generation so Twitter it's not necessarily bad for you you just have to use it right like anything else that's right <laughs> it's interesting stuff I uh, so I think that one of the kind of difficult things is Twitter has, in my experience, in my limited experience with um, kind of youth that are on that are up and coming, right? Like so, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year olds. Um, Twitter is is still is looked at as more of a young adult kind of a thing, and and mm -hmm. and is not really used as much. And so, 
I wonder how much Twitter can be used uh, for our local pastoral ministry. Like I do see the benefit of Twitter being used um, as not just, you know, as something that helps us and is a, it can be a positive thing for us as people. But but like we talked about, there are folks who, who are really pastoral on Twitter and, and who are doing some really great ministry with that. But uh, I, I often think about things as, as, well, how can this be used beneficially for, you know, local pastoral ministry and stuff like that. And and in our yeah. context, I'm not always I don't always know how it can be used. Um we're not we're not flush yeah. with young adults who are on Twitter. Uh That's true. And so so I don't know. Like I, that's not me that's not me knocking anything. That's just me kind of thinking. Um because mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure or and and frankly maybe it's not maybe it's not going to be used that way. I mean that's not the point. Um but it's just stuff I think yeah. about. Yeah, I've got to go in a literal minute, but I think that I use Twitter for my own betterment and for the occasional outreach to others and not anything in my local ministry, sure. judging by the amount of times I retweet the F-bomb on Twitter. Fair enough. Um, but I think like when I think about reaching out to younger people, like that's why my church has an Instagram and being able to kind of minister through something. I mean, I minister through Facebook because most of my church is boomers and then through Instagram where like some it's our Instagram is linked to everything. So somebody might be scrolling through. I might like you might be able to. I don't know. I just it's out there. I mean, I'm not going to get Snapchat and I'm not going to get the what's the thing with the, the videos now. I have no idea. Gosh, I'm so old. TikTok? It's the, it's the TikTok. I'm not going to do TikTok. I don't, that's not, unless I need to. But also, like, the population in my area, that's not how I'm going to minister to them. If I'm going to minister to anybody here, it's really going to be flesh and blood face to face. Right. Which I've done a lot of recently. We can talk about that next week. But I need to run. So do you want to sign us off? Yes. This has been really great. Friends, this has been What the Hell is a Pastor? Uh, we are Ethan and Joe. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.